0: Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. So, Lois and I are staying at a a bed and breakfast not long ago in a little village. And um, Lois and I have a difference of opinion about bed and breakfast. I like them because they're social places. You sit around the table with strangers and you make conversation. Lois doesn't like them for the very same reason. Uh, She likes people, but it's just a little harder for her to break the ice over breakfast so so I go down for breakfast I smell the coffee and I go down for breakfast and the dining room is all set and it's beautiful and uh, and they have the coffee at ready and they have the juice ready and there are a couple of ladies that are sitting at the other end of the table one of them is an archaeologist I discover in that little awkward let's get acquainted thing she's an archaeologist and I'm trying to imagine what an archaeologist does I'm imagining imagining like digs in ancient places and she says that they're in town for a symposium and the symposium is uh, for a non they run a nonprofit. it's a endowment that was an estate that was uh, left with an endowment that was left and it's historic and and it's a beautiful estate left by an, an eccentric elderly woman and endowed by this eccentric elderly woman and they get to talking about the place, and they say about the place, it's really a special place. As a matter of fact, it's haunted. I said, tell me more. Who doesn't love a good haunted house story, right? They go, well, you know, it's kind of haunted by good angels, what they said. That's okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and they told me more, and, uh, and after they talked for a while, and I talked for a while, and They told me some stories, and I told them some stories, as you can well imagine. And then I said to them, have you ever heard of thin places? And they said, no, I haven't heard of that. Similarly, in paganism and in ancient Christianity, often people would say there are places on earth that are thin. Meaning, there are places on earth where the distance between heaven and earth is thin. And it's like a place on earth... That feels kind of heavenly and they go yeah that's this this is a thin place I said well you know here's the interesting thing you mentioned the angels you know are they good angels you said they were good angels or bad angels because there did you know there are both and they 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 were interested I said well you know I'm a Christian writer and speaker Um, and I said I um, am fascinated by the spiritual world and it interests me a lot and would you be interested in knowing, like, what the Christian perspective on how to understand what you're talking about is? And they were, they were fascinated about it. Yes. And then we explained a little bit about, about good angels and bad angels and heaven and hell and spiritual things and material things. We had a wonderful talk. It was a very, very as a matter of fact, the, the time went, back, went by fast. And the ladies immediately uh, suddenly went, oh, we are late. We've got to go. And they, and they got their things. And we exchanged information. And off they went. And for a moment, we were at a thin place right there, and heaven and earth were close together because we were talking about the things of the Lord. Now, in our text today, it's a series of uh, instructions, directions that are given. If, if you remember, there were directions given to women, and then directions, uh, wives, and then directions given to husbands about how to live a spirit-filled life, and then there were directions that were given to children, and then directions given to fathers, about how to live a spirit-filled life and now we're in a section where we have directions given to actually slaves and directions given to masters we often kind of uh... you know apply that to workers and 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 employees and employers and that's probably legitimate but there are directions that are given to those who are workers and directions that are given to those that are our bosses our masters and how to live a a spirit-filled life really how to make every place a thin place where God is known and where people have a sense of the presence of God, because we know that God is always present everywhere. There is such a thing as the manifest presence of God. You can you can read about that in Scripture. God is always present everywhere, but there are times when He manifests His presence, and there are times when we pray for God to especially manifest His presence, have a sense, a feeling of the working of God. This is it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing that people should seek. It's right. And so it is when we talk about thin places, if you want to use that terminology, this is really a message about how your work can become a thin place where there's a shortened distance between heaven. It's not just when you come to worship on Sunday. It's not just when you go away to a holy convocation of some time. But it can be in the regular working world that you can have a sense of the presence of God and God at work now let's read the text and you'll just see this very clearly bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man And you see the whole thing about the thin place there Continually, he is saying you're working, but you're working with an awareness that God is the one who is there. God is the one you're working for. God is watching. God is rewarding. God is the judge. So he's spoken to the worker, or he's actually spoken to the slave. We'll explain that in a minute. And then verse 8 says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is bondservant or free, masters, he now gives directions to the masters, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So th- this is a very straightforward passage. It's not hard to understand at all. You you um you can simply read it and see very clearly what it means. That 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 the slave is told, and in that culture, in the, in the culture of the New Testament, in, a, in, in in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves. Probably two thirds of the people in Ephesus were under some kind of slavery. And the slavery, when we tend to think about slavery in American history, slavery, chattel slavery, racially oriented, lifelong slavery, which was the historic experience in America was not the same as the kind of indentured servitude slavery in New Testament times. There's a significant difference, and that, that, that kind of answers a nagging question. Why wouldn't Paul go after this slavery, and why wouldn't he talk about abolition of slavery? Why is he telling people to be good slaves? And there's a lot we could say about that, but it would take us aside, really, from the heart of application, which is where we want to stay. A biblical description is not a biblical endorsement of something, right? The Bible describes things it's not endorsing. Polygamy, for instance. The Bible describes sometimes, in an apparently neutral language, it describes in the Old Testament polygamous situations. But when we have the canon of Scripture complete, when we realize what the Bible teaches, we realize that polygamy is not okay with God, even though it's described sometimes without censure in places in the Bible. Does that make sense? So what's described is not necessarily prescribed. What the Bible describes is not necessarily what the Bible says is, is, is not a command of the Bible. So the fact that the Bible describes how to behave if you're under slavery doesn't mean that slavery is okay. Because it's not. And the Bible's also clear about that. And we could talk about how, how Christianity, when it's rightly rooted and properly practiced by devout and sincere people, tends to bring an end to those kinds of oppressive uh, systems. But what we have here is just a, a real practical uh, text for you because tomorrow you're going to work, right? Or you, maybe you're retired and so you're going to work for, to do the honeydew list or your, or your avocation or your project, whatever that God has given uh, to your hand. Uh, maybe a student or worker, and this is a, a powerful application is obvious here if you're working or if you're over others in work. I want to I uh, help you by showing you from uh, this tr- application of this truth how you can make your work a thin place. How you can make what you do a place where heaven and earth touch. And, and, uh, and, and here's how you do it. You simply see your work as worship. And you see your work as a mission or as a witness. Okay, just think about it like that. I, I had a job once at the Sycamore Inn in college in Springfield, Missouri. It was a whole of a place. People went there. After, they, after the bar closed down, they would go to the Sycamore Inn. And there I would be waiting for them to bust the tables in to wash the dishes while the cooks smoked marijuana in the basement. That's what happened, I'm just the unvarnished truth. So the environment was uh, sketchy at best. So I am uh, working the Sycamore Inn, and it is all night long, hard. I didn't know this truth I'm going to teach you. If I'd known it at the time, I think it would have helped me. I didn't see myself as worshiping God When I was running that dishwasher in the middle of the night, I was just depressed. I was sleep-deprived, I was depressed, and I was sure that Lois was going to like somebody else and not me, and she was going to pick somebody else and not me, and I'm not kidding. So that was depressing. And you can see, she's right over there. She picked me, we've stuck together, so this is a happy story with a happy ending. But at the time, I didn't know that. And uh, she was the master of hiding her hand. And her card, she just wasn't showing. I didn't know if I was going to be able to win her affection. That depressed me. Just saying, all right? And then I'm running this dishwasher, and that was depressing. And then I'm sleep-deprived, and that's depressing. And I, and, I, and I got to go to class, psychology, 7 o'clock in the morning. That is depressing. It's really depressing. And I owed a lot more money than I could pay, and that was depressing. Is anybody else depressed with me here today yet? Like it was just depressing. I'm in the middle of the night going, oh, Christians, you know, I'm just like Jesus, would you come back? Please, like right now? Because I want to go be with you because I'm depressed. I think if I had realized what this scripture teaches and, and that work can be made to worship and when your work is seen as worship then the work becomes a thin place. You're doing what you're doing for God. That whatever it is, that machine that you work at or that thing that you do, that's, an, that's a holy altar unto God. And when you see it that way, it changes everything. I want to show you like four things that happen when your work is worship. And it's also, by the way, witness, because people are watching, or mission. It's like, it's not just a, a common job. It is your commission from God. So four things happen. Here's the first one. When you see your work as worship. And when you see your vocation or your work as a witness or a commission, then your work takes on significance that you didn't think it had before. What you're doing is significant. It's important. It's mean. And we all are longing for significance and meaning. And it may be that the widgets that we're putting together or the things that we're doing. They're just so practical. They don't seem to have real deep significance. You know, It just seems like, yeah, here I am making the donuts again. I'm not saying donuts aren't significant. I think we all know they are, especially sour cream glazed donuts from Tim Hortons, which they are going, there. that's like, I don't know if you knew it, but Tim Horton got that recipe. That's the manna recipe. It's what it is right there. So now you know. You can just put that in your little book. I'm joking around. Anyway, so so you have have, uh, going to make the donuts doesn't seem meaningful. It doesn't seem significant. But if you're working at a bakery, And you're doing your work at a bakery in an honorable way as worship to God, and the people that are watching you, it's a witness to them. All of a sudden, your work now has become deeply and eternally significant. And when you think like that, that's why a believer has such a different perspective on life than an unbeliever, because your work has meaning, it has significance my grandfather understood this one day my dad was trying to get my grandfather to to sell the farm and leave but he was way up in years and it was hard for him physically and so I remember my dad and my grandfather out in the barnyard having a conversation my grandpa was pushing manure you know and my dad was going this is just too it's just a mess and and at your age you should just be you can just sell this place and you don't have to do this and and, and my, my grandpa got a far away, he had a, a flair for the dramatic and he was a master storyteller and his, he got a far away look in his eyes and he says to my dad Kenny as the way I see it I'm not pushing manure I'm feeding America now, you, you know we do laugh but but you know that's what he would in his heart when he got up and he did what he did he was one of the men who was helping feed America that's pretty significant right that's pretty meaningful he saw a, a deeper significance in his work. You've heard a story about the Irish workers that the king had building a road, and they were like singing lustily as they built the road for the king. Remember this story? I've told it before. And then finally, day, a guy came along and said, hey, by the way, you, the, the, the road you're building is going nowhere. The king has just given you this to preoccupy you, to occupy you. And then it says, then the Irish workers continued to work, but they never sang again because roads to nowhere are difficult to build. And that's the way it is if in our life we realize that the road we're building, it's for the king. And it is going somewhere. And it matters. And it's significant. And our life has meaning. Then we can get up in the morning and do the, the most common task. Because it's worship. Because it's witness. We, our lives have meaning and they have significance when that happens. So then, I like to say it this way. Then every meeting becomes a divine appointment. Every meeting a divine appointment Every common task becomes a sacred duty performed on the altar to God like worship. And every bush is a burning bush and God is speaking to you through every common thing in your life. Your life just changes when you see your work as worship and when you see your work as witness. The second thing is then you'll have a fresh passion and you'll have a fresh vision with whatever you do. I don't know if you're going to read. Go ahead and build that whole slide. There's going to be little stuff. Can, you, can anybody read that? Uh, sorry about that. It's just really cool stuff, but you can't read it, but it's really cool. I just want you to know it is really cool. I'll read it to you. Is that, is that a deal? So this is kind of neat. You know, these are this, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Colossians 2, uh, it's actually 3.23, not 2, 3.23, and, and Ecclesiastes 9.10, they are whatever verses. They're whatever verses. Track with me, okay? Whatever. Think. Whatever. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. These are at least three times in the Bible. The Bible says, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever you do. Notice what they say. Whatever you do, 1031, whatever you do, do all what? To the, you know, to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or bowl <laughs> or, or, or empty the garbage, glory of God. Do it to the glory of God. It really helped me this morning. In the, in, the, uh, in the pre-dawn darkness, I stumble out of bed and toward the kitchen, and I go to throw something away, and the trash can is empty, and I always miss Wes. I mean, the trash can is full, and I always miss Wesley. When the trash can is full, because when he was with us, he was the trash can guy, and you could count on him to do that. But but he went away from us, and he married, and he moved to Texas, and I don't know, you know, we failed somewhere as parents. But anyway, and now I have to empty the trash myself, and I never like doing it because like it's a drag, you know. And then usually I wait till Lois tells me eight or ten times, and then I do it, and just being honest. And then she just reminds me, that, do you remember to line the can? And this morning I thought, wait a minute, this is worship. I'm here alone worshiping God, taking the trash. I didn't take it all the way out because we might want to put some more stuff in there. But I got it out and lined it, and I was thinking to myself, I'm worshiping God. It changes the way you look at stuff. It really is. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or empty the trash or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And then the Colossians, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And so in other words... In one sense, when you work hard, it contributes to your holiness. When you work hard, it contributes to your happiness. When you work hard as worship to God, it contributes to your soul, your spirit, and your soul, your mind, will, emotions, your happiness, your, your, your just emotional well being. You know that when you work hard, right? You put in a good, hard day's work. And you have a sense of that. And then it contributes to your health. It's good for you to work and engage your body, spirit, soul, and body. And that's what Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Young people, here's money in the bank for you. Work hard as unto the Lord and People it will promote you and they will pay you what hard work like that, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And whatever you do, the, the Bible says there in Colossians 323, whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And the Romans passage says, Don't be slothful in zeal, but be, here it is, ready? Fervent in spirit. When you do something, do it with a fervent spirit this is just because it's for the Lord and so I'm just giving you that. It's just what and over and over the passage here if you go back through the passage from chapter 5 and verse 18 and every time it tells somebody to do something it says do this because you're doing it for the Lord or because the Lord will reward you or because you answer the Lord or because Jesus died for you or because you're the bride of Christ it's always appealing to God This is why it's good to be a godly person seven days a week, because whatever you do then, you're just like, yeah, I'm out here doing this simple thing, but I'm doing it for the king. I'm doing it for the king. Got a text from Tom Harmon this morning. Tom's a dear friend. Tom, whenever he writes his, uh, he'll sign his name, he writes just a field hand. Just a field hand. He calls himself just a common field laborer for God. Don't you love that? That's just beautiful. That's what we are. We're like, okay, whatever you want us to do, we're going to do. For God's glory, with all of our might, fervent of spirit. Why? Because it's for the Lord. And so when your work is worship, and when your work is witness or commission from the Lord, then what happens is... It takes on this powerful significance, and you can do it with vision, and you can do it with passion, and it matters. There's a third thing, and then God will be honored in the world. Over and over again, the Bible teaches that God is honored by Christians working hard and doing honest, decent labor. And over and over, like, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, it says this, Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, as I instructed you, so that you may walk properly toward outsiders. There is this sense that we should have that unbelievers who don't know Jesus are watching our work and deciding about who Jesus is based on what, how we behave and how we work and, and, and the ethics of our labor in that. This is always a part of our testimony, um second Thessalonians that's why my dad by the way took the Christ is the answer badge off me one night and said don't wear that until you work harder <laughs> because I was talking with the girls up front when I should have been working and he says well you know good testimony just work hard and take the badge off and if you work hard you can put the badge back on he was he's a good guy second Thessalonians chapter three Verses 11 and 12 say, we hear some among you are walking in idleness, and you're not busy at work, you're just busy bodies. And now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their living. And the idea is like, if you're a good Christian, work and do what you're supposed to be doing. It's a good testimony to people that are watching. It's exactly what it says in 1 Timothy 6.1. Let all who are under the yoke of as bondservants regard their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and the teaching of God would not be reviled. There it is again, right? What's it saying? It's saying when you work hard, it's good testimony. Here's here's another one. Titus 2 and verses 9 and 10. Bondservants are to be submissive to their masters in everything, well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And here it comes, Ready? that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior. Isn't that beautiful? They may adorn the doctrine of our Savior. It's like you beautify the truth about God by a life that backs up what you're saying through common work, whatever it is, by doing that well and honorably. So, this changes your life. This is going to change your life. If you haven't already seen it, you may already have seen it. It's going to change your life. When you look at your work as worship... And when you look at your work as witness or a commission from the Lord, then it has significance, then you have passion, and then it becomes a testimony. You become a missionary because of the way people look at your life. It's a powerful thing. Now, I thought about a guy named Bob Eckel. Okay, Bob Eccle comes from farm people up north in Michigan. Good people, good, good people. Farm people, hardworking farm people. And he needed a job, and, and he, you know, farm boys just want to farm, but a lot of times they have to supplement what they do by going off the farm, right? And he, When he was young, he had to do that. And So he got a job, and it wasn't a really cushy job. It was a wastewater treatment plant in Muskegon, Michigan. So he's treating sewage, right? So, and he meets a guy named Keith at the wastewater treatment plant, and Keith knows that Bob is a religious fanatic. And Keith told me one day, he said, I knew that Bob was going to try to shove his religion down my throat. And I made up my mind, the minute he started talking, I was going to tell him to shove it. That's what he told me. He said, but he tricked me. He said he, sneaked, he he became my friend before he said anything. And he was my friend, and then one day he said to my wife and I, he said, there's going to be a movie in Fremont. It's one of those uh, apocalyptic, doom, Jesus is coming back into rapture, get saved movies. I don't think I could even say that again if I had to, but it's, it was that, The Thief in the Night, you know, right? So they had the movie. And he invited, so Bob invited Keith. And Keith and his wife, two years into marriage, unbelievers, they came. And that night, they got saved. And today, there's a little, there's a beautiful little chapel in West Virginia. A brick chapel, pastored by Keith. Oh, and, and, and when Keith went to that chapel, and they began to, to, to uh, serve the Lord there, they built another building and, oh, and, and then another building. If you went to there today, you'd see in the, the rolling hillsides of West Virginia, this beautiful brick church that obviously is flourishing. And the guy pastor in that church was led to Christ by a farmer named Bob Eccle in the wastewater treatment plant years ago in Muskegon, Michigan. If you have a spiritual pulse, that'll put goosebumps on your neck, right? Because that's what we want to all be about Making Christ known to people so their lives can be totally transformed and completely different. Bob, Bob led Keith the Lord. Keith has eight kids. Go on Facebook. Look him up. There are these eight beautiful kids serving the Lord, loving the Lord. Because one guy at the wastewater treatment plant invited another guy to a B-grade Christian movie and he got saved. Say amen. Amen. That's awesome, isn't it? I love that. There's a fourth thing and that's this. When you look at worship work as worship and witness or commission then God will make a place for you you say wait a minute I don't want to do this job all my life I, I like God to give me a different job I like God to give me a bigger job I like God to give me a more significant job I, I could do something more for the Lord what what about that did you ever have that feeling I think a lot of people have had that feeling they're not in the job they wish they had they wish they could have a different job a better job or, or. how many of you would like to have a job that pays more raise your hand okay yeah well, okay so there you go um, and, and, uh, and, and so, you, you see what I'm saying? What about that? Well, see, that's the whole thing, too. When we serve the Lord, and we just uh, work hard, and we do right, and we serve the Lord, here's the way I like to say it. He knows your address. He knows where you live. He knows what you can do. He is like, he knows, he, he's like uh, totally aware of the opportunities that are out there, And he's totally aware of what you can do. And he can put you exactly where he wants you to be to serve as long as he wants you to serve there and do exactly what he wants you to do there. And you can trust him that way. As a matter of fact, here's how the scriptures put it. A man's gift makes a room for him and brings him before great men. That's in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. And Proverbs 22, 29 is a similar verse that says, See a man diligent in his business, he will stand before kings. God will give you the place where where He wants you to be if you are faithful to Him and you are a good testimony and you work hard at the simple jobs that He's given you or the job that really belongs to somebody else. Examples in the Bible would be like Rebecca out there watering the camels for an old man one day. I've been around young single women, I have experience with this because I have four daughters. I happen to know that every once in a while young single women wonder about if they'll always be young single women or if like Prince Charming will come riding into their life on a white horse and sweep them away they happen to think like that I happen to know that I I listen to these things I'm sure Rebecca was the same way right what about me she's hauling water for the camels at the well for an old man one day and doesn't realize he's pretty connected to a handsome young man who's a real prince with God (laughs) You know that story, it's, in, it's in, uh, in Genesis. And there was that water boy, that sheep herder kid, that his big brothers would send him away whenever the big stuff was going on. Oh, what was his name? Uh, David, yeah, that was his name, right? David, right? He did well for himself. God knew where to put him. God made him a king. God made him a great leader. God knew his address, and God knows your address. We're in an interesting time as a church, right? We're, we're, none of us kind of know what's next, right? I'm not sure what's next. You don't, you're not sure what's next. Guess who knows what's next? God, our Father, knows what's next for all of us, right? Talking to Chuck yesterday, and Chuck repeats something back to me that I told him years ago. And he goes, Dad, I'm excited for you right now. I'm like, okay. He says, you remember when, you, when we were kids, you would always get in the van. You would tell everybody on your day off, come on, get in the van. And that used to irritate me because I'd say, where are we going? And you would never tell us. You would just say, get in the van. I remember when you were older, you would say to us, I always wanted you to trust my father heart. I always wanted you to trust that I would never take you anywhere bad. I always wanted to trust that that if if the father asked you to go somewhere, then it was going to be a good thing. And Chuck says to me, Dad, I'm kind of enjoying watching what's going on in your life right now because I feel like God is just telling you, get in the van and don't ask me any questions. Isn't that awesome? It's like, do you trust the Father heart of God? Can we trust God? Is God trustworthy? Yes, we can trust God. All of us can trust God. And it's not like we're perfect, but He's perfect. We don't know everything, but He knows everything. Things confuse us, but He's never confused. Say amen to that. Come on. Am I among friends here? Jesus Christ can be counted on. Same yesterday, today, forever, right? And we can follow him and he will lead us and he will tell us what we need to do and he will tell us where we need to go and where we're going to be. He's like, get in the van and trust the Father heart of God. Lessons from Charlie Brother Man today. And so you're uniquely gifted by God. You're custom made by God. Think about that. You are strategically placed by God. You are specifically commissioned by God. Every one of you. Your times are in his hands Martin Luther understood this, and he wrote this. The maid who sweeps the kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves floors that are clean. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on each of the shoes, but by making good shoes because God likes good craftsmanship. And so here you have it in the book of Ephesians. You have, how do you have spirit-filled marriages? You follow the directions. Ladies follow the directions. Men follow the directions. How do you have spirit-filled homes? You have children, young people who follow the directions, and fathers and mothers who follow the directions. And how do you have a spirit-filled workplace where where the the place becomes a thin place? You have spirit-filled workers and spirit-filled bosses that are paying attention, that they're doing what they do in the presence of God, and he will reward them, and he will hold them accountable for what they do. That is what God is doing And then you have a team of, like, Monday morning missionaries. There's a guy, Monday morning missionaries. There was a guy who nobody could lead to the Lord. And lots of skilled people tried. His mother tried to lead him to the Lord. Two pastors, at least two pastors, tried to lead him to the Lord. Some of the godliest people in the church tried to lead this guy to the Lord. But he was a tough nut to crack. Didn't matter what anybody said he wasn't gonna get saved and he got old and you know how it is when you get old You don't ever want to change and it's unlikely you're gonna get saved if you get old and you're not saved You know, it's not as common right get saved when you're old And then he went into convalescent care and he had to go live near one of his daughters? I believe and it was in Kalamazoo And he was he was way up in years and in really really bad health and he was about to die one day he fell and broke his hip, and then he had to go to the hospital. And then the doctor walked in, and the doctor was a Christian. And the doctor led him to Christ. Because that doctor wasn't just a doctor. That doctor was worshiping God. That doctor was a missionary. That doctor made that hospital bed a thin place, didn't he? And you and I, if you've ever been to a thin place, it's a thin place Because a spirit-filled person has been there making it a thin place. Because God likes to be known. He likes to manifest himself. He longs for people to ask us to manifest himself. And when he manifests himself, then what do you have? Yeah, you have a thin place then.